Hi everyone, welcome to Third Spacing the Podcast, where we explore important issues on the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore. This is your host, Mahima. In this episode, Dr. Victor Zhuang shares insights from his work in disability studies. He is currently a Fung Global Fellow at the Institute of International and Regional Studies, Princeton University, an international postdoctoral scholar at the Wee Kim Wee School of Communication and Information, NTU, as well as principal consultant with SG Enable. He has also recently released a book with Ethos Books entitled Not Without Us, Perspectives on Disability and Inclusion in Singapore. Hi, Victor. It's such a pleasure Hi. to have you here with us today. Do you mind just taking a second to introduce yourself to the audience? I have a PhD in Disability Studies from the University of Illinois, Chicago, where I studied under Leonard Davis, who is a very eminent Disability Studies scholar. So I also have another PhD awarded by Macquarie University in Media Communications, Creative Arts and Language. And I think that also reflects the fields that I'm working in. So really looking at Disability Studies, comms and media studies and of course i'm happy to talk about some of this later i'm currently with princeton university so i'm with the princeton institute of international and regional studies and that will be for this current academic year up to end june 2023 i'm also concurrently international postdoctoral scholar with ntu with the weekly week school of comms and information as well as a principal consultant with sg enable the national agency serving disabled people in singapore thank you so much victor so I'm aware that a large focus of your research is on disability. What inspired you to pursue disability research? I think it's been a very long story. I've talked about this in some of the writings I've written about, I think it's in SPA. So I started out because back then I was an undergraduate at the National University of Singapore. And like all Singaporeans, you go through the education system, you needed to do a dissertation. So just looking for something to do. And I will admit that back then, this notion of disability was invisible. I didn't know much about disability. I think like many Singaporeans, disability came to me as charity, as the standing outside the MRT station or the tissue seller wheeling his wheelchair at the hawker center. So disability was invisible, only present in particular form. So as I was looking around for a dissertation topic to work on, my then supervisor asked me to Disabled People's Association, which is one of the few organizations of disabled people in Singapore. Uh, at the AGM that I went to, I met Ron, who was the founder chairperson of DPA, as well as the international parent organization, Disabled People's International. So I decided that excavating the oral histories of disabled people, in particular disabled activists in Singapore, to try to enable the Singapore story would be a good topic to work on. So that was my bachelor's dissertation. So I interviewed Ron Dudley, and I think over time, from Mr. Ron Chandran Dudley, he became Uncle Ron, from a oral history subject, he became like the grandfather that I never had. I spent a lot of time with him. I visited him like at least once a month. I spoke to him. He would tell me all these stories about disabled people's activism, both in Singapore and around the world. And I think that uh, heavily influenced how I began to think differently about disability. That is how I started doing disability research. So 
over the next couple of years, continued doing my work and disability work at SGA Neighbor for a couple of years, just trying to explore what's it like in the disability sector. And so when Uncle Ron passed away in end 2015, I felt that it was time to go and pursue further studies, in particular the PhD. I've talked about doing a PhD with him for a very long time. So it just felt when he passed that it was time to do more. What does disability studies in Singapore involve and what are your main research interests? I would take a step back from this question to think about what does disability studies. Disability studies, you could think about it as originating from two different nations, the US and the UK. And of course, each location had very different kinds of concerns. The US tends to be more humanities-based, based upon cultural criticism. And a lot of the founding fathers of American disability studies tends to be from English departments or literature, whereas in the UK, it tends to be more social policy, sociology-oriented. But I think what unites both the American and British schools of disability studies is this sort of parallel confluence with disabled people's activism. Disability studies must be linked to the core of disabled people for disability self-representation. So if you know the history of how disabled people began to advocate for their own rights internationally, you can actually see disability studies also coming out from that moment, supporting disabled people move towards emancipation and then using scholarship and research to do the same thing, to challenge, to critique normative structures. I would think that for Singapore, it's a bit too premature to say that there is this thing called disability studies in Singapore. I wouldn't think that it has fully emerged. There are just a couple of us scholars who are interested to do disability research. If I was to try to perhaps draw out the boundaries of the field, and I, I think that will eventually change as well. I would think that a lot of the work now tends to be around evaluating the kinds of policies that go around disability in Singapore, uh, to think more critically about the experience of disability in Singapore in that sense. And I would think that's what disability studies in Singapore would involve. And at this point in time, I would perhaps use this moment to give a shout out to edited volume that myself, Mingyi and Dan Goodley, we are actually co-editing a volume that will come out in February next year. It's actually titled Not Without Us, Perspectives on Disability and Inclusion in Singapore. This will be published by ETHOS. And it's a collection of critical essays coming from the space of disability studies, thinking about what disability and what inclusion looks like in Singapore. And perhaps that would be reflective of what Singapore's disability studies space would look like. And we have like three very distinct sections. One is about disability self-representation. What does it mean for disabled people to speak of themselves, to write about the condition, or, or rather to write about the embodied experience of how do they see the world? Another section looks at disability arts and culture what's it like within this space in Singapore that is very supportive of disabled artists. And the last section looks at a policy critique, looking at different aspects of disability in employment and policy across the board. I understand that you are very interested in the intersection between disability and technology. Maybe you could just share 
some of your insights in that area with the audience? So in terms of work that I'm doing, I'm looking to turn my PhD manuscript into a book manuscript that will look at how inclusion as an ideology is created, circulated, communicated, and consumed in Singapore. In essence, I would think that the question I'm trying to think about with that book project is really what does inclusion do? What does, and I think that's crucial to think more critically about inclusion. So I'm increasingly interested in sort of communications and technology, looking at things such as emerging technology and their intersections with disability. This is actually a book project that I'm working on with Gerald Goggin, who is a professor of media and comms at the University of Sydney, really to think about how emerging technologies imagine disability. How does 3D printing, printing of prosthetics means accessible hacks at home, what does that mean for disability? For instance, autonomous vehicles, right? Driverless cars, which then can support blind people's mobility. So what does that do around disability? And also concurrently, how does driverless cars imagine disability? So we're just exploring this kinds of emerging technology. So besides that, looking at things like automation, human machine communication, and then of course, with Princeton, I'm examining the intersections of sustainability, technology, and disability as it emerges within smart cities. So within the urban infrastructure, you can see a lot of ways of thinking about how the urban city can be transformed to create better lives for its inhabitants. And disability, I think, plays a very huge role in some of this transformation. You think about smart traffic lights, for instance, that can allow people to have more time to cross the route. Those are, in fact, structured around disability. Or even, we use Google Maps all the time now, right? To think about how such navigation apps can also be structured around the needs of People who do not walk, when people walk and use Google Maps, they think about, okay, I want to get to this place. It will take X number of minutes. But for people who are disabled, the experience is different. Then you have to think about you know, how steep the gradient is. Is the wheelchair accessible? And in cities like, I think, Seattle, they're starting to do some of this sort of transformation of not just the physical space of the city, but also in terms of transforming digital space in terms of what goes into navigation apps. Just building on what you said about infrastructure, where do you think Singapore's infrastructure is at, at supporting the needs of people with disabilities and how can this be compared to other countries? I think this is a very interesting question. If you look at some of the debates, people will argue that Singapore falls behind its other nations simply because Singapore does not have any disability legislation. I think we need to be a little careful about how to think differently and more carefully around this Singaporean approach. I always tell people this example. When I first went to Chicago to start my PhD, I was at the metro station. So the trains were on the second floor and you could either take the elevator on the lifts and both the escalator and the lifts were not working when I arrived there. Mm. A year later, they were still not working. Oh dear. So it's like, great, you have rights, you have disability rights legislation, you have laws guaranteeing disability rights in the US, but you have no money to invest in repairs, in infrastructure. If you compare the Singapore experience, I would think that a lot of people who come from overseas, disabled tourists, they come to Singapore, they'll be like, wow, Singapore is like a paradise. Of course, there are problems. And I think disabled people in Singapore have highlighted some of these problems. 
But I think in general, if you compare the experience of inclusion, that's my sense of it, that even though there's no legislation, there is, I think, a very strong commitment in Singapore towards inclusion. So if you just simply compare just by the simple fact that there is not disability rights legislation, I think that's really missing the point. The experience of inclusion needs to be thought of more critically within its context. I think that needs to be carefully done. I hope that my PhD to book manuscript does that. Thank you for sharing that nuanced and fresh perspective on this topic. Could you share with us about the work you have been doing with SG Enable? So I joined its predecessor, the Center for Enabled Living in 2011. So I worked there until I started doing my PhD and that's in 2017. So I've been honoured to have the opportunity after I've completed my PhD to go back in an advisory kind of role where very generally my work is to advise them on their plans vis-a-vis the need to build a more inclusive society in Singapore. So for people who do not know, SG Enable is the national agency serving disabled people in Singapore. They are actually company limited by guarantee, but set up by the Ministry of Social and Family Development. So like an operational arm of the ministry. So like I said, I've been very honoured to be able to do some of the work I'm doing with them. Over the past year, the work that they are doing in setting up the Enabling Academy which is a division between SG Labour that looks at continued education and training for disabled adults. So advising them on how that should be done, as well as looking at how they do their disability equality training. So how do you teach people to be more inclusive? Perhaps you can expand on some of the key initiatives by SG Enable for the benefit of our audience. I wouldn't dare to say I'm speaking for SG Enable, so I want to be very careful around that. But I would think that SG Enable does play a pivotal role in Singapore. They do manage most, if not all, of the ministry's schemes around disability. In Singapore, you have things like the Assistive Technology Fund. Healthcare professionals should know about this because it allows disabled people to tap upon these funds to purchase assistive devices that can enable them. So you're talking about screen readers, able-to-tech software, motorized wheelchairs. You also see actually enable doing a lot of the work in making referrals, connecting people, disabled people with the need to the services that exist. So we're talking about day activity centers for adults, epic centers for children with disabilities. It's also the work they do in supporting employment. So they actually have a huge employment division that tries to schedule employers to hire disabled people, but also to get partners on board to support disabled people, but also in a sense to get disabled people up to speed to train them different kinds of training so a lot of the work is also putting in place the infrastructure getting job coaches trained they have a ACSC advanced certificate in supported employment so all I can say is that they do play a very pivotal role in Singapore it's very heartening to hear you share about all these initiatives broadening the discussion a little how does inclusion happen in Singapore and how is this different from other countries so I think I briefly touched upon that previously. And I think one of the key differences that I had is that there is no legislation that guarantees disability rights. And of course, the Ministry of Social and Family Development explains this in their reports to the UNCRPD to say that constitution guarantees this. But I think it differs very much from how other countries are explaining their commitment to the UN Convention of Rights on Persons with Disabilities. Because a lot of times when other countries sign the UNCRPD, they sign it and ratify it 
And the first thing that they do usually is to implement disability rights legislation, but Singapore hasn't done that. So I think that in itself shows you how different inclusion happens in Singapore. It's not one where it's simply enacting a law and saying that, okay, we have the law and with that law, we are inclusive. And that's it. So I would think that if you examine the Singapore approach, that a lot of it goes to really making sure that inclusion happens, which is why instead of that approach towards legislation, you can see that over the past 15 years, they have this series of enabling master plans that list out the steps that Singapore needs to take. I'm not saying that inclusion in Singapore is lacking or inclusion in Singapore is better. What I'm trying to say here is that inclusion in Singapore happens differently and it happens differently in the sense that there's no legislation. The Singapore government does not take the simple way out. It has decided that it would build consistently onto the various steps it has taken since it first implemented the enabling master plan in 2007. So I would think that the Singapore approach sees inclusion as a series of steps that needs to be taken and it's slowly making its way up there. Of course, there are people out there who say that the pace of implementation is slow, there are problems, and those are criticisms. But in what I'm trying to say here is that it happens differently in that sense. So how have you seen inclusion in Singapore evolve over the years? I think it's changed quite a bit. Having this podcast sets the tone. You wouldn't have seen new talks like this 10, 20 years ago. Besides myself, I understand that they are disabled people who are coming on to talk about their experiences. So it's become a more open society where disabled people are also open to talk about experiences. And more importantly, people are willing to listen to these experiences of disability. That is no longer just simply, oh, this person talking is disabled and I feel so bad for them. It's no longer about that kind of discourse, right? It's more about, oh, yeah, this is something important. Inclusion is something important. Disability is part of and parcel of life and we need to understand more and we will do more to support the needs of disabled people in Singapore. How would you like to see inclusion in Singapore evolve in future? I think that what we need to do is to really do it organically. And I think this is still space that I would think hasn't coalesced into a certain direction. I think that's good in a sense, because there's debate over what things should look like, that even while there's the enabling master plan, people are still saying things like, no, it's not happening fast enough. And this is very open, right? People are writing to the press and saying that. And I think that that bodes very well for inclusion. I would think that receptivity by the makers to listen, as well as people who are willing to step up to say, no, let's make things better. That I think bodes very well for inclusion in Singapore. I would love to see more of this happen. That open discussion is so crucial for new initiatives and new ideas to come up. What are some ways in which healthcare perpetuates stereotypes about people with disabilities? So I'm not going to speak from evidence. What I'm going to speak about is a very more generalized view about healthcare that comes from the space of disability studies research that has been conducted overseas. Of course, that leaves me open to criticism, but I'm willing to talk about it because I think that helps us to think more differently about healthcare. And I think that globally, especially from the UK and the US, a lot of the criticism around healthcare tends to be around how healthcare sees disability. 
The criticism is that healthcare professionals see disability as a condition that needs to be cured. I think that in itself sets this mindset. It's very problematic because then you're talking about people who have that lived experience, who navigate every day with their disabilities. They are seen as less, that their bodies need to be cured. I mean, if you talk to disabled people, most of them will say, no, they don't want their health to deteriorate. Who wants course, to have yeah. bad health? Nobody wants to do that. And disabled activists globally have highlighted that they have their disabilities, they live with blindness, they live with muscular dystrophy, but they do not want to fall sick. So there is that tension, right? So they do want to be cured, but they want to be cured of illnesses. What they do not want to be cured of is their disabilities. What do I mean by that? Take for instance, right? If you have a wheelchair user, if you take the cure approach, then you'll be talking about, let's cure the wheelchair user, let's make him walk. That's yeah. problematic, right? Because there might not be any cure, right? So when cure happens, then you're focusing attention on treating the disabled body when perhaps the attention should be focused on the barriers created by the stairs, right? So instead of curing the disabled body, you should be curing the fact that we are building stairs instead of ramps or elevators or lifts. And I think that in itself is one of the main criticism around healthcare that comes from global disability studies. That healthcare sees disability as cure and neglects to see other issues that create barriers for disability. Of course, I would say that it is complicated. There is that tension. But very generally speaking, that is the criticism around healthcare. In one of your articles, I read you wrote it is not the individual who is disabled. They are disabled instead by their society and the infrastructural barriers. So would you like to speak more to that? I think that one of the best ways to think about this is to ask the question, what is disability? What's disability? If you medically talk about it, then like you said, it's medically defined as a physical lack in a sense. But like you said, we should change that narrative. Yeah, but you look at WHO-ICF, their framework of disability moves away from just simply disability as lack to understanding disability as confluence of very complex factors, including environmental and social factors, also cultural factors. So I think that in itself is a very progressive view of disability. So it moves away from seeing disability as simply a bodily condition, right? So that in itself reflects WHO's orientation towards understanding disability as not just something located within the body, but something that can also be actively created. A lot of us wear spectacles. Take away the spectacles. If there's no such invention as spectacles, what does that make us? Yeah, we are all disabled by that. And some people will criticize this approach. But what I'm trying to say here is that some of these barriers that prevent disabled people from participating in society, these are actually barriers that are not intrinsic to the body, but rather mm. created by society. How do you think we can create more inclusion in Singapore's healthcare system? I would think that one very easy way to do is to listen. I think healthcare professionals are very good at doing that. And I think we should continue to do that. Listen, to hear the stories, right? Of course, healthcare professionals are professionals. They know they are experts in doing certain things. But we must also recognize, and I'm using we in a very generous sense, that people are experts of their own bodies as well. They know what is best. They know what they deal with on an everyday basis. 
So being able to listen, being able to support and not negate all these perspectives, I think that would be one quick way to create more inclusion in healthcare systems in Singapore. I think that's very hard to do because I think on the one hand, you're talking about experts. When people say I'm a disability studies expert, I frown upon that because I think that's very problematic. I would think that if we can embrace that we are not the experts Mm. and that we are still learning, I think that in itself is a very important perspective to think differently. Yeah, everyone is the expert of their own lived experience. (laughs) Thank you so much for all your insights today. Before we end this interview, what is one message you would like to leave for our audience? A lot of times we tend to think of inclusion as a goal. As a goal that once we do certain things, we can get there. I would ask that we think differently about inclusion. That inclusion shouldn't be thought about as a goal. It should be thought about as the starting point. Because once you think that you have reached and attained inclusion, I think that in itself is very problematic. That means that we are no longer open to thinking more differently about diverse ways of doing, about diverse ways of living, and not open to thinking about how different we can do things. So inclusion is not a goal, it's only the beginning. Thank you so much, Victor. It was really an honor hearing your perspectives and insights.